0: My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, and we're going to be going today into Luke 21. Uh, No news on my end this time around. I'm almost done with my summer semester, so we're we'll just getting right into it because, gotta be honest, I've been recording a lot today, and I need the rest. But I also need to get this done, so we're gonna get it done well. So we'll start in verses uh, one through four. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, "Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them." for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on mm. okay so the point here isn't about the size of the offering given but the heart and spirit behind what was given now the rich people we see here obviously they had more money to give so of course Just by numbers, they should give more than this poor widow. The real issue is the heart behind what they did. And we see here from reading between the lines, the way Jesus uh, handles both of these uh, parties here, is that the rich were likely, they were giving more than what they should have probably out of obligation, and not because people like this poor woman needed help. The woman, however gave out of what little she had because she trusted God to do something mighty with it which Jesus praises and like to better understand like our monetary values here if you remember forever ago we did a denarius was about or denarii was about a day's wage well the copper coins that she uses here it's sometimes translated as mites or leptons they were about 2% of the value of a denarius. So does that put in perspective for you? Just how poor this woman was an entire day's wages, 2% of that is what she was able to give away. Like this should tell us everything about the poverty that she was experiencing day in and day out. And yet, even in the midst of this, she faithfully offered what she had to God. It is very easy to look at this story and to praise the woman for giving, and as we should, she's very righteous in this moment for doing so, but it is harder for us to then look at ourselves and see where we stand when it comes to giving. I'll be honest, I don't like talking about finances. You've probably gotten that sense off of me whenever that comes up, and you would be right to think that way. Look, it sucks, but it's something necessary to do, especially in light of giving to the church, because a good church will be using the money offered by its members to then go look after others and enrich the world with God's love. Like, I'll be honest here. I have never been the best at giving. Some of it has not been willful, I'm not doing this. Some of it has been, I literally forget. And that's not good either. Like, at least if it w- if I was choosing not to, I'd be making a stand. Versus like, I just forget. I, honestly, in my opinion, that's worse. But at the end of the day, I admit this fault freely, but I can't remain in that fault. If I just stay where I'm at, then I've learned nothing. If oh, well, I'll just do it again. And that's the wrong lesson to take from that. Like, I have to realize my errors and do the work I denied previously. Everyone else listening to this, we should do the same. Give what God has commanded you to give and don't let anyone else tell you to offer more or less. That is between you and him. No one else. The only reason someone ever gets to call you out is if you're not doing it or if you're doing it incorrectly. Listen to what God says first, but also listen to the people God may use to help you embolden yourself to do what's right. Now this may look completely differently Uh, from you than it does for me. But the point being in how much we give is that we are being faithful with what God has given us. Move on there. Two verses, five through nine. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offering, he said, he being Jesus, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, in the midst of this chapter, there's going to be more. Another prophecy that Jesus speaks of that is against the city of Jerusalem and the temple. This is pretty much the ultimate insult against the Pharisaical establishment because this is where their seat of power is in the temple. If they keep using this, well, obviously God must love them. They're in charge, right? And that's not always going to be. That's going to change. And because this place is where they used and abused God's commands for their own benefit, leading the astray of the people all the while. Jesus is pronouncing judgment upon them. And by saying that it would be destroyed one day, told them they themselves would also be destroyed. Do you know of any Pharisees around right now? Well, there's a reason for that. It's because they weren't doing their jobs and they didn't listen. But Let us also focus on his message about false prophets here and these false prophets uh, prophets coming to lead people astray later on as well. Throughout history, there have been countless men and women who claimed to be the only one who had the way to reach heaven, enlightenment, nirvana, what have you. And every single one of them was wrong, but people followed them anyways. Because there's something in our hearts and minds that wants to believe in something more in this life. That is a good thing. Unfortunately, people know about that stirring in our lives. And they go, hmm, I can take advantage of that. How many cults have there been over time? How many poorly designed self-help groups have been made? Uh, Just, oh, if you just get into fitness, you'll be better. Or, you know, if you just... Follow my five-step plan in this book. Your life will get together. Your finances will be great. Your family will love you again. It's all the same thing. This the same schtick. People are trying to make sense of this world, and they have a desire for something more than what is around them. And people take advantage of that. And that is, is exactly what Jesus is trying to say here. Be on guard for all of this, because if we are alert. And on our guard, we won't get tripped up when someone says, oh, Jesus is back, guys. This is him. Uh, He's he's in Israel right now and he's preaching the word. We should all go there and worship him, because if we read scripture, we read what Jesus says. We would know that his second coming. I mean, it's not going to be like his first coming. We're going to be up there. How the heck it happens, whenever the heck it happens. Point being, we're not going to be around on this earth for much longer when he comes back the second time around. So if there's someone out there claiming to be him, they can't because it would contradict what Jesus said. And Jesus, as God, cannot lie. So we need to use that discernment to help us here, as well as to figure out that this is not just a near prophecy. And that Jesus is saying people are going to be coming to you. But it is also a far prophecy. If you remember a while back, we talked about near and far prophecy. There's a more academic term for them. I hate it. So we're just going to say near and far prophecy because this is my show and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and Jesus was speaking this. Don't, don't get this wrong. When like I said, near and far means there is a near prophecy that, that is attributed to this specific audience and a far prophecy to us later on. And while he's saying this to them, Several of their number would still be alive during the Jewish revolt, and he wished to warn them to seek safety from what was to come, as the Jewish people and the Jewish and Gentile Christians would be persecuted during this time. Likewise, he is warning both of those same groups thousands of years later about what will happen to the world when the end times arrive. It's not going to be pleasant. And Jesus Being loving is trying to warn us ahead of time, massively ahead of time. It's been almost 2,000 years since he wrote, uh, excuse me, since he said these things. It's going to happen one day. And if we're not prepared for it, then why are we even doing this? Why aren't we paying attention to what he said to do? I'll move there. 2 verses 10 through 19. Then he said to them, How to answer for, I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will have gained, you will gain your lives. This is a very cheery part of the Bible, too. Everyone, all pepped up, ready to go out there and evangelize? I mean, I certainly am right now. Jesus' prophecy continues here, and his prophecy about a world being in turmoil has always been true. So, there are some scholars out there who kind of discount this as a lesser prophecy, they'll use, they'll say it's not even a prophecy to begin with. It's just, you know, Jesus being a, a cold reader, you know, that, that being a person who is kind of able to like, interpret the things around him and then make you think that he's more special than he is. Yeah. True. Sure. Like at any point in history, like bad things are going to happen, but this is a point to specific times in history for his followers where things are going to suck. And like, he's not just speaking in general. He is speaking of a day and age where these terrible events are so widespread to be notable enough to prophesy about. This is also another near and far prophecy where he is predicting his disciples and followers will be persecuted soon after his death and resurrection. But he is also pointing to the end times when this will be the status quo across the globe rather than the tense, cold cultural war we're dealing with right now in the West, While our Christian brothers and sisters across the globe are still suffering from persecutions we pretend don't happen anymore. Some of us do, at least. Some of us actually know what's happening. The latter events will become inevitable for the whole world again and make past persecutions look like a minor dispute. That is what Jesus is attempting to warn us about here, while also speaking to his original audience. Jesus offers some very sage advice here. When he speaks of what we will need to say when defending the gospel and defending ourselves and our testimonies, oftentimes we get scared that we'll say the wrong thing and we'll ruin the message of Jesus like we'll be the one Christian in all of history that oh well they just weren't good enough in the end. They said the one thing and everyone else didn't believe. That's not how it works. Those fears, they're natural, but take heart. We can't remain in them. God will give us what we need when the time arrives to speak truth into the world. Trust in him, just like he trusts in us to do what is needed for the kingdom. You know that? God trusts you to do the right thing, to get things done, no matter how many times we've pushed him down and said, nope, I don't need that, Lord. doesn't matter. If you're his, he trusts you and he trusts you to do well. So when that time comes, when people around you are saying, why do you believe this? What's wrong with you? It's okay to not be ready. It's okay to screw up because even in the midst of that, he will give you what you need. And I know, uh, like primarily speaking, I have a very American audience at this point in time of the recording. So it can be very difficult for us to understand what persecution is supposed to look like. You know, probably at worst here, I mean, we may lose a job or a friendship because of our faith. I mean, very rarely will you have someone actually murdered for it in America. It it happens, but it's not like it's not company policy, as it were. Meanwhile, uh, there are political entities at best who, you know, they'll enact laws that go against the gospel, sure, and that is a form of persecution. It's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, our brethren in places like Iran, China, and Plenty of other nations are getting beaten, uh, dragged into the streets, violated, and murdered for their faith. The status quo has never been what we fooled ourselves into thinking, that the Christians are supposed to be on top and respected by the world. It has always been the status quo that we are hated and despised by the world because we stand with the one who speaks against their evil and sin. We are so protected right now in America. I mean, relatively speaking, to have had over almost 300 years of a place where Christianity can thrive and survive and send missionaries elsewhere and to do a lot of good in the world, that is a good thing. But it's not going to last forever. The United States has not been here since the beginning of the world. It has not lasted as long as the Roman empire did or any other empire empire for that matter, or any country. We are relatively a new kid on the block and it's going to end one day. And the safety and security we have now will not last forever. And that's okay. Because guess what? Even when that fails, we still have God. And even when it comes to that point, one day, uh, however the heck the end times go Oh, real quick, end times for those who don't know, I should have said this earlier. I apologize. This is the general idea of the last couple of years when the world is about to end, when the beast has risen up uh, to control the world under Satan's guise and brings people to try and worship him instead of God. And there's debate on whether or not Christians will be there if we're already taken or if Christians will be able if people will come to faith in the midst of that or all that mess, that's a lot more if we ever get to Revelation forever from now. I'll get – and a couple of more gospel accounts and Daniel where we get into stuff like that. I'll be more willing to talk about that. But it's like a, a brief overview. Like this is the end of the world. Bad things are happening. Jesus is going to come back and solve everything. That's what I mean by that. So in those days of the end times, or even maybe even before that, if America falls and something really bad happens or uh, another nation invades us or something like that, like people can persecute us they can maim, they can beat us or kill us, but they can never touch our soul, which God eternally protects. And our endurance in this race with Christ to, to reach this finish line of whatever he set out for us to do in life. This means that no matter what happens in this mortal coil, it still can't affect our eternal souls. We're golden. Once we are his, nothing can take that away from us, no matter what we suffer through, no matter who we lose, no matter who becomes president of the United States, whatever, doesn't matter. God's got us. And that security, that's worth eternity. We're golden. So don't be afraid if these persecutions come. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Hmm. Another cheery prophecy here. And Jesus is further emphasizing the past prophecies against Jerusalem, something that continued to infuriate the Pharisees. Yet they, once again, of all people, should have known it was well within God's character to speak out against his chosen people and their capital city when they were against him. There are multitudes of time in the Old Testament when we see the prophets rally their cries and voices against Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem for their iniquities and that God would justly destroy them for their sins. And, like before, This is yet another near and far prophecy speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, but also what is yet to happen in the end times. So if you choose to interpret it that way, some people think, and I don't begrudge them for this because it makes sense to me too, that this is just speaking of the Romans invading Jerusalem uh, in 70 AD and the temple being destroyed and all that. And I totally see where they're coming from. I also see where this could happen yet again, in that time of the tribulation of the end times so it is up for debate I will grant you that so don't think you have to 100% believe what Christian says here because Christian isn't always right we can have that as our first shirt or logo probably for the best if that happens I need to learn that every day so after that we go to 25 through 28 it's um, after all that uh, devastation and depression and every bad thing that Jesus was talking against, here's the hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ, literally him. He predicts his final return to humanity, his second coming in the midst of the end times. When uh, Once again, when does this happen? Who knows? I mean, there's some people say it's the very beginning of the tribulation, which is a seven year period for those unaware. Some people say smack dab in the middle. Some people say seven years, and you have the heretics like me who think it's six and a half years, and that's when all the bowls and scrolls and the uh, trumpet judgments happen. (laughs) The point being, no one knows. And at best, we can guess because we're not supposed to know. But that doesn't mean we can't speculate. But one thing we can't speculate about because we know it's true, because he's always been truthful before, is that Jesus is coming back. And at this point in time, refer back to that message he gave about false prophets there will be plenty of false prophets out there to say Jesus is coming back here, guys. If you just go to my bunker, if you just give me all your money and your possessions and your wives and your children, like oh man, like we'll be we'll be safe together. And everyone else, they're wrong, and they'll they'll just all be going to hell. And how many times does that happen? More than zero, and people fall for it every time. Learn discernment there. And to go back to what he says, his point here, and it's why he doesn't. It's not to establish a date and time for his return, but to prophesy that it will occur. And when it does happen, evil will have lost for good, just like evil and sin did when he will come back to life after dying on the cross in just a couple of chapters. This return, it's going to be a great day of celebration and rejoicing for Christians. But a huge period of woe to those who denied his true nature. See, you and I, those who have come to faith, those who have seen him for who he truly is, this is our everything. This is what it's all building up to. But everyone else, hate to say it, but they don't make the cut. And they've had all the time in the world to do so. So they have no one to blame but themselves at the end of the day. 29 through 33. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now there's a lot of bad discourse about this verse. Uh, These couple of verses here, people taking them the wrong way, trying to say, oh, well, it didn't happen. Jesus didn't come back. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. But first, let's look at this fig tree example here. It's a beautiful illustration of just something that you can see. Like earlier, Jesus had used that example of the seasons changing and stuff like that. Well, so too do we see here. In another way, the season's changing because you can see physically in a fig tree, oh, this is a different type of year because the fruit is growing, or the fruit is about to fall off, or the fruit uh, fruit is dying. Therefore, I know this is that specific time of year. We can likewise do the same for his return. If we start noticing the signs, if there are more than what has been happening, more wars, more devastation, more plagues, more pestilence, more famine... More than what we've seen so far, I mean, I can't really blame someone if they say it's about to happen because it makes a lot of sense. And we think things are bad now, but they're going to get a lot worse. But take heart. Remember who Jesus is and what he said he would do. Let's go to that whole kingdom of God verse there. Lots of people will like to say that this is something where, oh. Well, Jesus lied. He didn't come back like he said he would, because, you know, his, that generation, this, there's not an immortal among them. So, oh well, Jesus was just wrong. So he was just a man. No, they're missing the point. That's one way you could look at this, if you're just looking at the surface level. But let's also think about what he's saying here about the kingdom of God. They're going to see it happen, because guess what? The kingdom of God is truly established on this world. This starts when Jesus arrives. And the form of a baby starts there. But at the end of the day, it is sealed for good with his triumph over death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. Guess who saw that? Some of the disciples. So which means they lived long enough, even in the midst of all the turmoil they saw, to see his kingdom established. So I know other people aren't satisfied with that answer, but it's the one that makes most sense to me, because how else can you interpret it? in a way that doesn't make Jesus a liar. It makes no sense if he is, because if he is, he's worthless. This is what he means by the generation not passing away before this happens. Because he's going to create a church that preaches his messages and works to reach the entire world. And like some people today, many people in the first century thought he meant that he was returning before his apostles died. Only to be very disappointed when John died somewhere around 100 AD, he was the last apostle to die, as we've established before. So they had to do some soul searching for their misinterpretation of scripture. And look, this is a perfectly natural mistake to make. I mean, you know how big this book is? Not even just Luke, the entire Bible. How difficult it is to make sure you have all your facts right. It's amazing to think that anyone could think, well, I've got it all together. No, I've read through this book in a dozen of times. And still, I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. So, of course, people are going to screw up and make mistakes. Especially then, at that time, they don't have what we have. They don't have it all together. They don't have it all written down. You know, one handy-dandy book, they had to use scrolls, which were so long, and then they had to get another scroll to go to a different part of Scripture to refer to that, if they had those at all. So, of course, there's going to be misinterpretations. And even now, with what we have at our disposal, people can still make mistakes. And that's okay. Guess what? You weren't supposed to, the moment you gave your life to Christ, just have this questionnaire right in front of you and answer everything correctly the first time. Guess what? Same thing applies when you die and you go up in glory before Him. He's not going to say, All right, well, let's see what you think about the veneration of the saints. Uh, Let's see, are you an infant baptism or not? Like, (laughs) that's not how this works. So it's okay if we screw up on our theology sometimes, so long as we've got Him. We can mess up a little bit, but we need to make sure that when we mess up and someone calls us out for it, we realize it ourselves. We own up to it. So we can't just remain there where we were. So, like I said, own up to it, then move on to realize the truth. Because, I mean, if this were the point of this is. Uh, the one thing, this is contradiction in scripture. Well, it kind of unravels after that. But that's if you don't actually read what's being said, if you're not looking at the words being said in the original language and how it's been translated and who we know Jesus is up to now. So suddenly there's a screw up when well, it's kind of weird if that's true. So either this was something written in later on, someone threw into the Bible or we just don't understand it the way it needs to be understood the first time. It's OK. Learn from it. We also see here that the current world in its totality, that means when it says the heavens and the earth, it means space, it means the earth, the sun, solar system, planets, blah, blah, blah. Reality as we know it will be destroyed and replaced with something far better than we could ever imagine, a new heaven and a new earth as we see in Revelation. But the one thing that will remain constant in this whole time outside of God and the, tr- the Trinity themselves is the words of Jesus, Jesus Christ. So once again, I, I said it enough today, but I'll say it again. Take heart in that and follow him. We'll go through 34 through 38. And with that, we'll finish off the chapter. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on a mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. We see here... It is scenarios exactly like what he's saying that make me think that Jesus specifically chose not to say precisely when he would return in order to avoid more Christians from acting lazily and not working to bring others into kingdom. Look, I know how I am with deadlines. (laughs) Not the best. Uh, I have a paper that's due on Saturday, and I got the title page done, and that's about it. That, that to me, I'm working ahead of schedule by this point, two days ahead of when it's due. (laughs) And sometimes, against my own good, I am like this in my walk. And I know I'm not the only one. If at some point in time Jesus has said, all right, guys, uh, so you don't have this dating system yet because it doesn't exist. You're not not doing the BC 80 thing yet uh, You know, before Christ in Odomini uh, in the year of our Lord because, well, that hasn't been invented. But uh, we're going to say uh, using the Jewish calendar we have right now, it's going to be this year at this time, at this point in the world, that's when I'm coming back. You know why he didn't do that? Because we're lazy enough already without a deadline. Can you imagine across the ages if Christians knew precisely when he was coming back? And they said instead, well, someone else will take care of it. I'm already saved. What do I care about someone else? They'll get there if they get there. And that's a terrible outlook to have. And people do this even without knowing when the date is going to be happening. So, of course, Jesus didn't tell us when because to whom much is given, much is expected, uh, all that mess. Well, he's given this little bit here. Now, we've proven time and time again we can't always be trusted. So he's not going to say when he's coming back exactly. That's not for us to know. And that's a good thing. What we do know is that he is returning. And when he does, we have to give an account of what we've done for him and to him. The more prepared we are for that day, the better off we are. So take a page out of the book of Matt I Moody and constant vigilance people and seek after him daily. And that's that. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Please, if you have a moment of time, just to leave a five-star review in your podcasting platform of choice and really help with the ratings and help people uh, see us and everything. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my works on com or on Amazon by searching for the name MC Ashley. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, I'm glad I got to this part. I just recorded an episode earlier today with Joe Day of Buddy Walk With Jesus. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. We've talked a couple of times before on whole church and systematic ecology and a couple of other places. No, no, that's it. Yeah. This will be the third one is with his stuff on his YouTube page. There's going to be an interview there when it actually lands. I'll let you all know so you can hear that as well. We talk about he's going through Matthew right now. I'm going through Luke and we talk about that and a couple of other issues in the church and stuff like that. A very fun conversation. Well worth your times. So head to that as well. I'll let you know once again, when that comes out. So uh, into my actual outro. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anna's Out Ministries podcasting network. You can contact me at letnothingmoveyoupodcast at gmail.com. And I'd like to extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you in accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you.